Welcome to Career Practitioner Conversations. This podcast is presented by the National Career Development Association. Hello, everyone. I'm Melissa Venable, NCDA Director of Professional Development, and it's my pleasure to introduce today NCDA President Lakeisha Matthews and Dr. Sarah Fetterman, Associate Professor at the University of San Diego's Kroc School of Peace Studies. This conversation is part of Dr. Matthews' presidential series of episodes, and it will focus on salary negotiation with ideas from Dr. Fetterman's upcoming publication, Transformative Negotiation, Strategies for Everyday Change and Equitable Futures. Thank you both so much for being here. Excited to add this topic to our series. I'll turn it over to you, Lakeisha. Awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa and Dr. Fetterman. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited uh, to talk about salary negotiation and equity with you because we have been having this conversation (laughs) for a number of years back when we connected at the University of Baltimore. So my presidential theme this year is career development around the world, making connections and increasing access to impact the global labor market. Market. And my goodness, if there's one topic that really does impact the labor market, the community, people's individual lives, it is, in fact, salary negotiation. So I want to really start and, and let folks know who are listening. You were the first person who popped to my mind for this because in the College of Public Affairs at the University of Baltimore, you were teaching a class on negotiation, just, you know, negotiation, not specifically salary negotiation. And you called me up and said, hey, Lakeisha, can you come in and focus on salary negotiation? Let's talk to our students about that. And that blew my mind that a faculty member saw a connection between negotiation as a theoretical concept and actually salary negotiation, mm. a career development concept. Can you speak to the list? about why as a faculty member, expert in negotiation, you saw salary negotiation as something important to talk to your students about? Well, it's what they wanted to talk about. (laughs) That was on their minds. I mean, they're coming to this class like, what do you have for me? What do you have for me today? Mm. And they were navigating government agencies, right? Military um, and different, um, sometimes police departments, but all, all in that sector. And I wasn't a sector, they weren't sectors I was familiar with. So mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't know. So I came to you saying, Lakeisha, <laughs> I don't want to give them bad advice because sometimes mm-hmm. what works in a corporate environment, as the students let me know, doesn't work ah. when you're in a very rigid, like, for example, some of the students would laugh and be like, oh my God, you can't say that in the, in the military. You can't go up and be like, <laughs> I've contributed all this this week. And now you need to promote me. They're like, uh, insubordination, thank you very much. Right. So it's different rules in different yeah. states. And um, we started with your help every semester. I, yeah. I dragged <laughs> you in every semester. And you'll see Lakeisha in the book because <laughs> a lot of the advice came from her in the sense that she knew by working with students what they were up against, the mistakes they mm-hmm. were making. Um, and you really need an expert who understands the world that you're navigating. Mm, That is so powerful. So one of my uh, talks that I do in DEI, I say, you know, we have a tendency in career services to coach and counsel and advise students as though we're sending them into a perfect world. 
when in Mm. fact we're not. The world will interact with them very much based on their identity and the intersection um, of their identities. And that is very much involved with salary negotiation. Mm. And I think it was so powerful that, first of all, what you just said for career professionals to know you're in a classroom. Faculty have great access to students and professionals. At the University of Baltimore, we have adult learners and they're taking a class on negotiation and they're asking you about salary negotiation. So I think that's so powerful for career professionals to say, are we talking to our clients and our students about salary negotiation? Mm-hmm. And then the second piece that you said is they they recognize that they didn't have the answers. They didn't know how to approach it. And it was mm-hmm. different by industry. Mm-hmm. So I really have to say to my colleagues out here that are listening, are you prepared to have that mm-hmm. conversation with your clients about salary negotiation and understand that that conversation is different depending on your industry and maybe even different depending on your identity. If you're a woman, if you're a person of color, uh, it's it's just more loaded than just salary negotiation. Yeah. I really want to pick up on the last part you said, because, and I have a chapter on this on the book, black women, white women, because one night one student was coaching another student on what to say to her boss. And she's like, well, a white woman might be able to say that, but I Mm. can't say that. And I thought, well, you know the drill. And if that's true, how do we teach this class? Like, do you really give, mm. you know, how how do you navigate if it's different? And so I started to do the research. Like, what do we actually yeah. know? And like, it turns out both managers and employees sometimes think that they shouldn't ask for more, that they're lucky to be there, right? Yeah. If they're black or, or mm-hmm. you know, minority or person of color or yeah, from a historically marginalized group. And so they share that sometimes, mm. even sometimes if the hiring manager is also someone from a historically marginalized wow. group. So we started to look at that, this, the data on that and say, okay, how do we then work with that yeah. um, while we're navigating, right? We know we're navigating different worlds based mm-hmm. on our skin color, our language, all kinds of at- attributes. So we had these conversations in the class and to their credit, the students just started coaching each other because they, they knew power. They understood how it worked, but with a little support and like your talks, right. Talking about, did you even know that you could actually negotiate your salary? Some are like, <laughs> I had no idea, right? We'd always do a check. Like, how many of you have negotiated your salary? And you'd always see them, like, everyone would be like, um, I actually never negotiated it. So there are things that regardless, we can all talk together about. But then I think we need to not shy away from the complexities, yeah. which is like why I wrote this book and share the student stories, just to open the conversation like you're having here. I mean, We don't know all the answers, but I felt that it was sort of unethical to just teach negotiation as like, this is true for all of you. Love that. (laughs) Love that. And I love that word complexity, because when you look at the data, we're saying that pretty much women are still making sense to the dollar that a man makes. And then if you break those women up by racial groups, it gets, uh, you see some d- uh, disparities mm-hmm. there as well. Um, so it, this is an issue because basically, in my opinion, the interpretation of that is that my gender does not bear the same amount of value as 
a man. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you feel for the same work, I should get paid less than. So it it is this complex and it's it's almost like embedded in our psyche um, where we may not even realize, like for instance, in doing some research on that, what we may not realize is some of that disparity came because women weren't in the workforce. Women were working at in the homes. Mm -hmm. So when they begin to go into the workforce, it was sort of like, well, you're not the primary uh, provider. So you don't need as much money. Mm -hmm. So the psyche of this and the psychology of this is so embedded in our culture. I love the fact, and this is where I want to go next, that you decided, you know what? We may not have all the answers, but my goodness, there we we know that there are pieces to this kind of wicked problem. And you have this wonderful publication coming out, Transformative Negotiation. First of all, loving the word transformative and then loving the fact that you have strategies for everyday change and equitable futures. Oh my goodness, it's just so powerful. <laughs> Talk to us about, tell us what we can expect in it, when it's coming out, how we can get it, all of that good stuff. Thank you. I'm getting tinkles. I'm so excited about it. It comes out in, in August. And it's so the idea of it being transformative is one transformative for the reader, right? I, I wanted to, I needed to write the book that I could teach in class. There wasn't mm. a book for me to teach. So that's actually, wow. I was producing that. There was nothing. Yeah. I mean, there was a little bit on women, but it was mostly just you wasn't sure it wasn't intersectional. So it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, black women and Asian women. It was all sort of different for everybody as I went in the research. But what it does is it's, it does a few things. The everyday change is how do you actually get into the middle class and then find some stability? Mm. Because, you know, a lot of our students were in financial precarity and the books were written often for people who had already achieved stability, trying to go to the next level, wow. right? They were trying to move mm-hmm. up, but like, mm-hmm. how do you get in and how do you get <laughs> in and how do you find stability? It's like really different questions, right? You have, you have school loans, you've got family members in need, you've got, you know, different family commitments that that you have, that the students had that I wasn't seeing in the other books. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was the the, equi- the actual strategy. It's like, what can you actually do? But you'll hear a lot of the voices of the students and others in Baltimore who like successfully like do it from the edges. Yeah. I'm so Im- impressed how they've done it. Insurmountable odds, but they, they did, they surmounted them. And then the other is the equitable futures because a number of these negotiation books that even if they target mar- historically marginalized groups, they suggest like, how can you get into power? So you too can be just as rotten as everybody else. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, <laughs> we're not trying to break the glass ceiling to then oppress other people behind us. Women wow. don't have a terribly good track record of supporting other women. I mean, you'll, we, I've been interviewing wow. a lot of women about this. They don't hold the door open. Mm. And how do we then, how do we get into power, but then not but then create a more equitable, right? A lot of people closing the door. So that's what I'm, that's the, that's the part of it that's about the equitable futures. Um, and I kind of had this image of like breaking the glass ceiling and then leaving the glass shards for everybody else behind them to pick up, right? <laughs> wow, <laughs> love that. that is, that's powerful imagery. And I love all of the pieces that you touched on, particularly when you said accessing the middle class, you know, and how a lot of the literature, there are great books out there on, you know, live your dream, get the salary you want, but you're so right. They're typically for people who are already have some sort of level of success, some sort of financial stability. Um, So you really speak to someone who's like me, comes from a single parent family, um, comes from a lower income family, fought my way, paid my way, worked my way through college, and now see myself in different income brackets. And the thing that people don't 
don't realize and they don't know is that your starting salary follows you throughout your career. So that the reason that salary negotiation is so powerful is because where I start is indicative of where I end up mid-career and in the futures. And the data shows this in two different places. The first is those who start their careers or relaunch careers in a recession. That typically Mm -hmm. follows them because they come in at lower price points. In addition, Mm -hmm. uh, those who that first job out of college is very indicative of your salary um, as you go. So what a lot of people don't realize is to the individual, it's just like, oh, I want to pay my bills. You know, I want to be able to travel a little. But what we don't realize as, as, as a culture in the labor market, that these starting salaries have a lot to do with people end up at the end of their careers, particularly, and we'll talk about this a little later because of the, the salary history that so many companies want, you know, when, mm-hmm. when you get higher and them locking you into to that range. So I'm so excited that your publication is going to touch on some of these pieces and how it is different for everyone. Um, and how I love how you said some people don't even know they can negotiate, right? You know, Imposter syndrome, all these things are very real for marginalized populations. I've had professionals who've been in the workplace and are underrepresented say, I I just want to get something new. You know, I just want this is almost like they don't feel worthy of their hire. They don't Mm -hmm. feel worthy that top dollar is what they should get for the great knowledge, skills, abilities, and talent that they bring forward. So I love the fact that you have developed a resource to speak to that crowd. Yeah. And, and it worked. I mean, I've tested on a hundred students and (laughs) in my last semester I did it. This one student went, started there like, oh, I never knew I could negotiate my salary. She tried to Mm. negotiate. They said no. And then she tried another law firm for as a paralegal and made $40,000 more. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> it was like such a life changer <laughs> for her. So I challenged the students like pay for this class. You should be able to pay for this class this semester. Somehow you're going to wow. save money. You're going to maybe get your employer to cover the cost of this class by teaching wow. a little seminar. And it was so fun. And so many people did it. I mean, so I want to say, and I think your, you, your work really hits right at this, like it's complicated world, but that doesn't mean there aren't things that we can do that actually can make a difference today. And when you talk about, you know, that, that number that you start at follows you. I think that was great because the students kind of freaked out and they were like, Oh no, I gotta like do something <laughs> about it. Right. It, it was like, Scary. I think you had a side with like a like a million mm-hmm. dollars over mm-hmm. a lifetime mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And the other thing that I that I touch on, and to your point about how how we're socialized, even what careers people pick, mm. we're socialized to those careers. Mm. And I like ask students, well, why yes. do you th-? right? So one of the reasons you know, we're seeing disparities in income is which careers people take, Absolutely, Asian women are going to finance, right? Like Mm -hmm. in in one of the studies I was reading, whereas African-American women were going into, you know, government jobs, which just Mm -hmm. have different, they just have different ceilings. So you can ask as much as you want from the government. They're never going (laughs) to be able to pay you what a tech company can, right? Like, so- Absolutely. But that matters to ask like, well, maybe you want to do programming or like maybe- you know, there's careers for you that you didn't realize that you deleted subconsciously because mm. you just haven't seen people like you in them and you don't know anybody who's done them. So let's talk about that. We do a whole chapter on like, let's just make sure your dreams are actually yours and not just something you kind of picked up on, you know, 
Absolutely. That that is just amazing because it is it is gender based when you talk about the careers that we select. It's also socioeconomic based and it mm-hmm. does. It has a great impact because we don't know what we don't know. And that's what I always say to students. And we use something with them in our office called the career cycle. And part of this career cycle is explore the world of work. So many job seekers and professionals do not take the time to really sit down and think about all of their options. And when you look at all of your options, it's not just, oh, what type of work I want to do, but how much are people paid to do that type of work? What is the financial trajectory of that type of work? I think that that is so very, very important in this entire process. So one of the things is very interesting because you sort of launched me into presenting on this uh, on campus and we would get these testimonials like you just mentioned from students, (laughs) right? And I realized, I said to my team, Job seekers want to talk about this. They want to talk about (laughs) negotiating a salary. So I said, let's just give this a try. And I started offering these salary negotiation coaching sessions. And we're still doing those. And it's (laughs) wonderful. They're coming in. We're giving people the language. We're helping them look at, you know, determine their worth in dollars um, and so forth. But what I love about it is what you brought up is those testimonials. When they come Mm. back and they say something that just blows your mind, you know, about when I advocated for myself, when I went in, And I was able to really sell who I am, that professional branding and put a number on it. And I wasn't afraid to be told no or to say thank you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's such an empowering moment for students. And one of the ways I realized to help them get there is I added a week on finance, which I've never seen in a negotiation Mm. class before, because how do you know what you need, right? Mm. Like, or how much, what is the salary, the lowest salary? What's your walk away point? Mm -hmm. How do you know that, (laughs) right? You have to do that scary week where everybody takes a look. What do I owe? What do I have? (laughs) Net worth isn't self-worth, but it is important to know what it is. And then you can go in, not trying to puff up, like I'm worth all this. It's like, I actually just can't take that salary. (laughs) So we had one student who had done this and uh, he got the dream job. They called him back, but they wanted him part-time. And he's like, Mm. oh, I would love to, but like, I just actually can't afford it. Yeah. And it was the week where I challenged them to make crazy requests. So he said, could I do it full-time? Like if I can do it full-time, I'll do it. And then they hung up. So let us think about it. And they called him back and he got the job. (laughs) And he, but it was like, you have to know, what that walk away point is. And then you don't have, it doesn't have to be such a struggle with them. Do you know what? It's mm-hmm. not a power struggle. It's like, yes, love you. You can't offer that. Like I'm taking care of my mom or I have car right. payments. Exactly. Right? It's exactly knowing, going into this, knowing what you're worth, but also knowing what your limits are, what your lifestyle yeah. requires. And so I took a course in salary negotiation um, and got this designation as the salary negotiation specialist. And we talk mm-hmm. about all of these concepts that I think are more familiar in your line of work of negotiation. Like you said, your walkaway point. And yeah. we would talk about this concept called anchoring and, mm-hmm. and how that first number that's thrown out there, right? Yeah. And whoever, whether the company throwing it out, whether it's the job seeker throwing it out, but how that first number can, it can help you, but it also can work against you and how both parties can get lost in that anchoring. Can you explain to our listeners, what is anchoring in the negotiation world? Yeah, this is a great topic. And of course, every situation is different. So when you Mm. hear this advice, you have to kind of listen when you're doing this training to like what feels right for where you are. Mm. Um, That said, you'll always probably be a little nervous if you're actually negotiating well. (laughs) 
It's just a little bit. I hate the feeling so much. I feel like you teach what you most have to learn. And I think I just mm. hate that feeling so much. I'm, I have mm-hmm. to teach negotiation because I have to keep <laughs> practicing that feeling. So anchoring is when like, say like Keisha and I are, are talking about um, a used car that I'm trying to sell her. And maybe I haven't listed a price. We're just like, oh, she heard that I was selling this car. And it's who's going to say the number first, yes. right? And I'm trying to figure out like, I want to get you know, the most I can from her. And she wants to get, you know, this car for as little as she can, but she doesn't want to like insult me. We got to find like, I'll have a range in mind and she has a range in mind. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for, you know, this zone, it's called the zone of possible <laughs> agreement, but whoever throws the first number out sort of puts it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And there are tons of fun articles and, and, and things about how to respond. So like, if I say like, I want 20 grand and she can, you know, she doesn't like that number. There's a few things she can do. One, she'd say, Okay, like no, <laughs> you know that just like not going to work for me. Make some face, <laughs> pretend she's angry, right? There's all these kind of like, and then another approach uh, is just to ignore it. Mm. Actually, don't keep repeating twenty thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> because that keeps like right implanting that number mm. and makes it real. Mm-hmm. They're just fishing, like you're throwing a number out. What is useful is to say. Something like if she were to say, I'm sure we can work something out. Mm. Um, my range, I'm really looking to spend around. Mm. And then say she wants to spend, you know, pay no more than 10, she might say eight, mm. right? To like give some wiggle room. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, and this is so interesting about negotiation, is that you actually want the other person to be a good negotiator because maybe like you've had this too, where you're going to negotiate with someone and the other person's like, oh, that's too bad. And they walk away. And you're like, <laughs> Don't walk away. Like, come back at me. Come on. We're trying to play tennis here. And you just like, I hit the ball and then you left the court. Right. Right. Hit it back. (laughs) You hit it back. So you're sometimes like, um, you could have just responded. Okay. So this is why actually you want people to train in negotiation because Um, you get more creative solutions and don't walk away. And so then if we go back and forth Mm. and she says, yeah, let's have like a good rapport. Like, I think we can find something out. We'll find our way. Yes. Right. We'll find our way. Um, it's good for her to also be armed with what my car is actually worth. Right? Ah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That research. Yes. Right? She's like absolutely. 2008 Toyota Camry, you know, like that's <laughs> 200,000 miles, rusty floor, you know? <laughs> so data is also, also helpful, but that's anchoring the idea of Love who throws it. out the first number. There's sometimes schools of thought that you should kind of hedge and let the other mm-hmm. person throw it out first, mm-hmm. which I like, but eventually, you know, we do this in class, but then nobody wants to throw out the number. And I'm like, okay, well, we can't negotiate if nobody goes first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you yeah. You haven't <laughs> lost by going first, you know, but there, but you do want to be careful if you are the first one. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I love, so I think for career professionals, this is so important to hear because there's a, there's a communication dynamics that takes place in negotiation. And when we're working with our students and with job seekers, we spend a lot of time on resumes. We spend a lot of time on interviewing or maybe how to job search, but do we ever really stop and make sure that they are equipped to negotiate. And you said something so powerful that if you're in this car sale and the person selling wants to sell it at the highest point, the person buying wants to buy it at the lowest point. It's the same thing for employers, right? For some employers, it's not a, oh, you're going to do this job. You bring these KSAs, this now skill and abilities, you're worth this much. For some employers, it is, we want to hire you at the lowest point 
that we can. And then the job seeker wants to get hired at the highest point <laughs> that they can. So there's that same dynamic in this salary yeah. negotiation process. And then you mentioned the anxiety. Are we preparing mm-hmm. our clients for that anxiety? I always say the job seekers need to role play these things out. This yeah. is not something you can just hear. This is something mm-hmm. you have to be prepared, whether you're going to use silence, knowing things like you said, don't keep saying the number, you know, knowing when you're in that anchoring part of it um, and so forth. It's, it's really some pieces uh, mm-hmm. that are part of the negotiation process that are really important that I think career professionals could learn from when we're preparing, especially when we're working with marginalized populations where they may be struggling with some form of advocacy, um, imposter syndrome, and they may be more apt to say, I just want the job. It doesn't matter what they give me. It does matter because we can't change. We can't bring about equity unless we're all asking and getting, you know, what we are worth. And um, I think that that's very powerful. And I hope uh, folks that are listening will purchase your book and hear some of these stories and Mm -hmm. hear some of this information so that they are more equipped to help job seekers. You actually went right into my next uh, conversation, which was about question, which was about who tossed that number out first. So it mm-hmm. sounds like talk to us about that in negotiation and, you know, how would you advise a job seeker? Should they put that number out there first? Yeah, this is a great, this is funny because this is what I asked you. We <laughs> 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 like ask each other. And I do, I do want to say that it will somewhat depend on the context. I thought you were, mm-hmm. you, were, you were really right to say there are states that do not require you to put your last salary and know if you're in one of those states mm-hmm. and don't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's really important advice. Um, you do want to see if there's a range for that job. You want to do that research first mm. uh, and know where you fit in that hierarchy. So that's just like go into that even before who does what you have to know, like kind of where you're getting your numbers from. So that's really, that's really important. Um some salary, some there's more increasing push to have. Uh, you've seen this employers list their salary ranges, mm-hmm. um, yes, for equity <laughs> reasons, yes. Um, so there's we're going to see more of that. So more of the onus is being put on employers. Yes. So I think it is okay to push a, a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, to push a little bit. Uh, I would hesitate, I would, I do research like when I do it, I like to say, like. What other other people being paid in that department? You need to try to find out <laughs> kind of like what you can ask for. What's the high end? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't, and it, it won't make or break your negotiation who goes first, but it is a little bit helpful to have them go first because especially with people who undersell themselves. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and you see this, right? Yeah. They'll they'll take the job for 39,000 because that sounds right. like a lot of money because they imagine it like a briefcase of $39,000. <laughs> and then you're like, all right, you know, healthcare, retirement, ah, right. taxes and like, right. and it's not a briefcase and you're, you know, so- I think it's important maybe in those situations to let the employer go first and then it'll feel, I mean, I think it feels squeamish. I mean, everyone has a different emotional response, but like <laughs> to ask for more kind of hurts. Yeah. And I think that that's what people should understand. Job seekers, this is uncomfortable. Nobody wants yeah. to ask for money. Nobody wants to be in this negotiation process, but it is critical that you go into it prepared to try mm-hmm. to get what you are worth and what you're looking for. And you mentioned these lovely paid disclosure laws. I am so happy that so many states are taking on these laws, which basically says they can't 
can't require a job seeker to list their salary history because it's bad business to kind of mm-hmm. say, oh, you made 60000 in your last job, so you should only make 70000 in this job. That's yeah. actually not cool. That's very, very much inappropriate. So I'm super mm-hmm. excited about those laws and um, what we're counseling students on things like if, if you don't have to put it into the application, you don't have to put it into the application. But like you just mentioned as well, you know, every case is different. If, if you're in a state where you are going to be required because that's not a law yet, then you need to, you know, know your range, do your research, you know, be prepared in all of these moments. And then I love the fact that you said, if you do have to put the number out there first, it's not the end of the world. You can still negotiate mm-hmm. uh, even in that process. And I think that all of those things are empowering mm-hmm. um, for the job seeker. So I'm, I'm curious because, you know, as a coaching counselor and advisor, we see students in a limited amount of time. Um, we only mm-hmm. really answer what they're they're telling us they want to talk mm-hmm. about. But when you're talking about this in a classroom, you get to really see them a little mm-hmm. bit freer and looser so in nice. this. What are all, give us all the fears that you hear them saying they have about salary negotiation, all their questions, all their concerns. Because I, if there's a career professional listening who say, you know what? I haven't been talking to my clients. I haven't been talking to my students mm-hmm. about salary negotiation. Give them what the students have been saying to help them understand why it's important. Yeah. Well, students were afraid, often expressed being afraid that they would damage the relationship. And so when they would have a success, I asked them, how do you think it affected the relationship? And a number said, actually, I think I feel better. And so do they, like they respect me more (laughs) and I respect me more. Wow. Wow. When done well. And I thought you, you got real about students sometimes, which was great because you said, all right, like you can't, they're not there to fund your lifestyle. Like don't go in being like, I'm trying to plan this wedding and there's going to be swans and like the swans are expensive, right? Like that's not what your employer wants to hear. So, you know, kind of keeping that sobering, but so there's, there's uh fears that the job offer will be rescinded. Wow. That's the main one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That they will pull it away. And very oh, rarely wow. will that be done. Yeah. Um, you know, unless you're asking for like, it's so far out right. that you look like you're actually not an educated person yeah. because you don't understand your industry and that they won't be able to satisfy you. They're afraid, you know, an employer won't feel like if you're looking for 250,000 and we can only offer 70, like you're going to leave. So we don't even want to. So that's why yeah. it's important to know the range, yeah. but they're afraid if they push, uh, that's the main, that's the main one. Oh, and my I, goodness. Yeah. That yeah. makes me so sad to hear that they're actually fearful, you know, that an employer is going to take um, a position away. And the interesting thing is, normal because I always, when, when I used to come in and talk to your students, and when I give this talk, I always talk from my supervisor hat too, because uh, I've been a supervisor mm-hmm. for a decade. And I always like to remind them that if you are getting an offer, at that point, the mm-hmm. company wants you. They mm-hmm. want you. They don't want to go back into the pool. They don't want to start interviews over. They want you. It's so if, true. <laughs> if you are offering and putting out a reasonable range, meaning it is you have researched it, it is worthy of your knowledge, skills, and abilities. It's not ridiculous. You know, then they are going to probably if it's in their power to do that. However, I always like to remind folks that that is about it's industry driven. 
company driven. Federal government, state government sometimes can't do those types of things because they work in certain bands or steps um, or internal equity types of things. So it's still industry driven. But uh, once mm-hmm. if you are a job seeker and someone has offered you the job, you definitely are in a position of power there to step into a healthy negotiation. And I think, yeah, to not think that your level of desperation or excitement about the job should lessen the amount you get paid. Absolutely. Right. Like one, you might feel, oh my God, I'm so desperate. I've not worked for two years and like, I need this thing. <laughs> like, right. Like they always say, the yeah. students were saying, don't look thirsty. Right. Like, don't like, right. don't, <laughs> like they don't need to know how like that. Right. So yeah. that's, that doesn't determine your salary. And maybe this is your dream job and you would do it for free right. <laughs> right. or almost right. You're right. so excited to be there and feel so honored. Um, those are two things that I, I see students sort of hedge because of, yeah. um, and just, and also in the third, I would say is just wanting to seal the deal uncertainty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's some great studies on uncertainty that we would rather be punched in the face oh my than goodness. have uncertainty. Just like one right. big clock to the jaw right. will be fine, but I don't want to sit and worry yeah. about this for another week. Um, yes. it's a kind of pain. Yeah. And, the, and that, this one really worries me because right now anxiety is so rampant in our yes. culture, particularly with um, the millennials and the generations that are coming up now. So when you take um, a, a situation like this with uh, an, uh, anxiety inducing dynamic anyway in it, this is why I strongly believe that mm-hmm. um, we really as career practitioners should make sure clients not only walk away with a good resume, interview ready, but also know my range know my worth, be able to Mm -hmm. articulate that and do some sort of salary negotiation simulation because practice for many people, especially if you're introverted or like you say, if you've been um, with job loss and you're just ready to work, you know, all of those emotions are bubbling up in you and negotiation is not the time to be at a 10 you know, on a scale (laughs) with your emotion, you know, calmness definitely makes for a better negotiator. So it's really something that we have to practice. So I think um, career practitioners, we want to make sure we're we're doing these simulations and talking to our clients about this. So I I, one last question for you, because when I do this, I always talk about my own negotiations. I talk about Mm -hmm. as a supervisor, you've heard some of the wild stories I've had with people Mm -hmm. um, not giving us the real number, changing the number, all sorts of things uh, with negotiation. And I, in fact, have negotiated several salaries myself. Have you ever negotiated a salary and what were your lessons learned? Yeah. So I have. Um, actually I didn't in first early in my career cause I didn't. So I was uh, working at a hospital and my boss left and I was, they had to promote me cause they had no one else to do it. And I was the only person as a manager in the hospital that didn't have a master's and like, oh. and so they had to promote me and they had to give me this amount of money. And I was like, Oh, I should just be so grateful. Like I just got a <laughs> lot of money, you know? So I didn't even think to do anything then. Um, but what I have learned, and this is maybe if you, and as a coach, right, you you get this. I actually got coaching for every ah. salary. I get coaching wow. because I know that there are experts in what I'm doing who will hold me to a different standard, right? They'll watch me squirm and they know might know my field better they might know what's happening in that industry better than i do so i actually when i'm negotiating my salary knowing that i want someone who knows what i'm doing if they know it better than i do 
And who knows what I can ask for, where I can push and where I should hold back. Mm. So it's a little bit funny. Like if you've ever gotten coaching or been a coach, you actually just believe in coaching absolutely, <laughs> and in finding experts and in reaching out. So I don't want people to think of it as like getting help means actually you're like you're like somehow weak. And actually I think is a sign of, of wisdom and strength. We cannot be experts yeah. in everything. So I hope everybody is lining up at your door, honestly, <laughs> for these sessions. I mean, they, if they had any idea, if I was like, by the way, you could meet with Lakeisha and you probably make $10,000 more, but you don't have to, if you're busy this week, like, <laughs> you know what, that's how we should say it on a flyer, right? To yeah. say, like, you come because you can make $10,000 more. Now that is just a perfect answer and response and a great way to end this segment um, that get help. Don't go this part of the process alone. Yeah. There are career professionals. NCDA. We have certified uh, professionals out there who are um, have gone through training and have designations that we offer as an organization that you can talk to that can help you find your yeah. resources to find your range, articulate this, work with your anxiety and nerves as you prepare for this process. This, what a great way to end this. I want to thank you, Dr. Fetterman, you for too. spending this time <laughs> with us. Um, NCDA appreciates you. When this book comes out, uh, please let us know. We will make yes. sure we link it uh, to this podcast. Folks, August, 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 mark your calendars, write a little post-it note that this book is coming out in August. If you have not integrated salary negotiation into your career coaching, counseling, or advising work, whether it's with students, whether it's with adults, in the workplace, veterans, what have you, this book is going to be a must for your bookshelf. So we hope that you have enjoyed this and we hope you will purchase that book. Thank you, Dr. Thank Feminine you. Again. Good luck, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.